Coming up, we're going to talk about boating, power boats, sailboats, and dragon boats. That's coming up in just a handful of minutes from right now. Experts are still divided on what the effect BC's new 15% property transfer tax on foreign home buyers will have on trade partners like China and the United States. Trade lawyer Barry Appleton says legislation could face lawsuits from those who allege it violates the North American Free Trade Agreement and says China could also object since the tax is largely geared towards Chinese citizens. But Keith Head of the University of BC Sutter School of Business argues most NAFTA disputes involve companies, not individuals, and says China might welcome the tax because it could help Chinese money stay at home. Premier Christy Clark says her government has consulted with legal experts and is sure the law will withstand any challenges. BC government says Alberta's recent increase in its markup rates on craft beer will create an unfair advantage for brewers in that province. John Yap, who is Parliamentary Secretary for Liquor Reform, says the move will hit BC's 118 craft breweries uh, quite hard since Alberta is offering grants to its own brewers to offset the fee increase. The BC government says Alberta's change are, are not in line with the spirit of open market access with the new West Partnership Agreement. Yap says the majority of BC breweries are smaller scale producers who employ about 2,500 people throughout BC. BC uh, may not have to, if you live in BC, you may not have to worry about unexpected rate hikes despite a multi-billion dollar drop in revenues at BC Hydro, the power utility. BC Hydro CEO Jessica McDonald says the Crown Corporation has launched a cost-cutting program in order to stick to the 10-year rate plan it announced nearly three years ago. McDonald says warm winters and a decline in commodity prices for BC's resources industries are largely to blame for the drop in revenues. BC's electricity rates hiked uh, 4% in April and are slated to increase at 3.5% next year and 3% the following year. And it just seems like the hydro bill is getting bigger and bigger and bigger despite the warmer winters. Looks like it isn't just the vampires. A northeastern community in the province is using garlic spray to fight mosquitoes with big results. Rob Fraser is the mayor of Taylor, a small community just north of St. John. He says ball diamonds have been misted with the 99% garlic spray with a second application already planned. He says the spray kills mosquitoes' larvae while leftover sulfurs, which are undetectable by humans, can deter adult mosquitoes for weeks. If it works, why not? And if you live on the same street for more than 30 years, you'd expect people to come and go. It's no different with one of the TV's most famous places, Sesame Street. There was a fuss raised when Bob McGrath, who's been part of the original cast since 1969, said in a podcast earlier this month that since the show moved from HBO or moved to HBO, they let all the original cast members go. And Bob McGrath, of course, well known to us locally and in British Columbia for his many, many years of work with the Variety Club and Variety Club Telethon. But the show is uh, challenging his claim. They say that uh, Roscoe Orman has played Gordon since 1974, and he has filmed new episodes for the current season, which will air on both HBO and its original home, PBS, 
Producers say that Bob McGrath and Emilio Delgado, who plays Lewis, the handyman, have taped episodes as recently as 2013 and will continue to appear on the show. Microsoft says it's cutting almost 3,000 jobs, about 2.5% of its workforce, as it further scales back its troubled smartphone business. A spokesperson says the layoffs will mostly affect workers in the company's smartphone hardware operation and related sales teams. She declined to say which locations would be affected, but many of the laid-off workers have already been notified. Microsoft disclosed the planned job cuts in a regulatory filing, which said they're in addition to more than 9,000 previous layoffs, primarily affecting the company's phone business over the last 12 months. Meanwhile, the first generation of iPhone was released on June 29, 2007. A little over nine years later, Apple says it has sold one billion iPhones. Think about it for a minute, for a minute that is. There's just over seven billion people on Earth and one billion iPhones sold. Feeling left behind in the world of Pokemon Go? If you've got $1,500, you can catch up real fast and go straight to level 21. Pokemon Go accounts are for sale on sites like Craigslist and eBay. If $1,500 is a little too rich for you, you can always jump to level 16 for $150. We're going to talk about boats in beautiful BC on a long weekend when we come back on Vancouver Consumer from News Talk 980 CKNW. There's a lot of benefits to recreational boating in British Columbia, and once you get started, you're only limited by your imagination. We've invited uh, the president of Boating BC, Don Pretty, to join us. Uh, It's nice to have you with us. Good morning. Thanks, Ian. Good morning. Uh, you are um, you're on the island, are you not? I am. I'm in Victoria. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you call it. I guess you weren't here last night for, uh, to, along with your five hundred thousand closest friends, to watch the fireworks. Uh, it, it was quite a display. What interested me was that some guests has had it at around five hundred boats in English Bay. So these are pleasure craft in English Bay to watch the fireworks. And you and I have talked about this before, but. Try to, if you can, explain to somebody who's never been on the water and had the view of Vancouver. It really is quite special and quite different than what you might expect. Well, it really is. And, uh, you know, you talk about the fireworks uh, night. I remember years ago, in fact, I can tell you, it was uh, <laughs> about 37 years ago, I I took my now wife out on a ship on the fireworks night, and uh, that's where the magic happened. So, um, <laughs> you know, it is a really a spectacular uh, city, of course, and uh, being on the water, it's just a totally different perspective than uh, looking at things from land. So, uh when you get out there, you really do get hooked, and uh, hopefully we'll just enjoy the uh, perspective from the water. And there's so many things you can do locally. You've got to, you can go up Indian Arm, or you can go down if you're into a, a river boating you know, along the Fraser, and there's a whole bunch of places you can go. Before we get into some of the, 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 the smaller details or the minutiae, if you will, uh, let's get one thing on the table right away, and that is boating in general. There, there seems to be this, con- this, this conception that... Um, maybe it's a misrepresentation, that boating is really nothing more than a, just a drain to put your money in. You might as well get a bucket and pour it in a hole in the ground. <laughs> well, you know, I guess uh, 
I guess everything you do recreationally, uh, there's usually a cost involved, and uh, boating's no different. Uh, you can get out on the water very inexpensively if you choose to, and uh, for people that are keen to try it, uh, I, I would encourage that. Uh, you know, you can you can be on the water on a stand-up paddleboard or a, or a kayak or a small rental boat uh, from Granville Island or Horseshoe Bay, uh, or you can go go big, as, as many people do, but uh, it does not need to be expensive to get on the water. Is one of the things that you would recommend uh, for somebody who's thinking about boating as, as a family experience, as just an example, to go and rent different types of boats, different sizes, different to power, or perhaps if you're into sailing, uh, different styles of sailboats? Is, is that the way to go, is to rent for a while? Well, it's, it's a great way to go, um, but to, even before that, uh, you know, as a family or individuals, doesn't matter, you know, to take a good look at what's available and what might suit their interests. Uh, you know, for instance, if somebody is interested in sailing, uh, they can start very small and move up uh, in in sailboats, and uh, you know there's lots of opportunity to get on the water without spending a bunch of money to go sailing. Um, you know, very often, for instance, the yacht clubs are looking for uh, crew members on uh, on Wednesday night sailing, and right. uh, you know it's just a matter of going down and seeing if you can get on a boat. If you want to go fishing, um, take a look at the different uh, sizes and types of boats that are available for for fishing. Um, so there's many different off- opportunities there. There's a there's a great website called Discover Boating, uh, Discover Boating Canada, and uh, they have a whole selection on uh, on boats. A lot of them are the smaller power boats, but it explains the different types of boats that are available to people. And um, you know that's just a great place to start getting educated. Do you have any idea the the ratio of power boats to sailboats? Oh well, I can I can talk from the experience in in the marina that I work with. Uh, it's probably about sixty percent power and forty percent sail. Mm-hmm. And is that because sailboats are a lot of work <laughs> when you get on the water? Well, it it, it is. It, I guess it's a bit more exercise. Uh, you're 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 working to make the wind move your boat along, uh, but it's also very exhilarating. So. Uh, uh, you know, it's just different strokes for different folks, I think. Right. And I guess that's the point, is that there really is something for for all kinds of lifestyles, regardless of what you're, whether you're young or whether you're a family or whether you're getting on in retirement. It really doesn't matter. There's something that you can find that would be most suitable, not only to your lifestyle, but I'm guessing for your budget as well. Oh, that's 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 so true, and um, you know it's interesting. I, one of the members of Boating BC uh, is uh, a builder, and he's building a boat, a very nice boat, and, uh, you know, not an inexpensive boat, but it's uh, it's going to have uh, uh, lifts for the handicapped woman that wants to go boating. Uh, so that boat, she will be able to get on that boat on her wheelchair, and um, because she's dedicated to getting out there on the water, and she's not going to let her uh, her disability stop her. Good for her, and good for him. I, I have this, uh, this impression, and maybe I'm wrong, but I have the idea that we sort of overlook boating in this area. Unless you are actually active in the boating community, uh, a lot of people don't really pay much attention to it, which always strikes me as being very odd, given our proximity to the water, whether it be river or whether it be lake or or whether it be ocean. We are so close and so lucky to have that proximity, and yet those that are not directly involved seem to be completely numb to it. You know, funny you should mention that. I was at a birthday party for a friend the other night, and uh, this uh, this. Uh 
lady who I've known for years. She grew up in uh, in Kamloops, but she uh, has lived in Victoria for 25 or 30 years. And she went out sailing with friends of theirs for three nights the other day. And she said, I had no idea how relaxing it could be to get out on the water. Mm-hmm. And she, I wish I could have filmed her because we could have used her, her <laughs> clip with Boating BC. Sure. She was so enthusiastic, and she just had no idea how great it was. It's one of those things that you really have to try. And this is why uh, at the outset I said, uh, if you haven't seen the city and surrounding area from the water, you really are missing a perspective that is incredibly unique and, and, and frankly, quite stunning. How, how big is the industry in Vancouver and or Victoria, for that matter? Well, uh, as, as uh, industries go, it's not one of the larger ones, but, uh, you know, we, there's a lot of people employed uh, in the Lower Mainland uh, in the selling and repairing of boats and uh, just the marina industry. Uh, on the island, it's a very... You know, it's a sizable industry. It's a, it's well over a billion dollars a year in in uh, British Columbia, so you know it's um it's not huge, but it's not small either. There's a lot of activity going on out there. Can you talk a little bit about the economics of boating? And I'm thinking about again from a budgeting perspective. And I and I want to use just for an example. And I keep going back to uh, thinking of the family that once. And the reason I, I I use the family as an example because somebody once told me that when you get your family out on the water, the iPad, the iPhone, or whatever smart device you have uh, usually goes into a pocket or stays ashore, and you know you generally don't have those kinds of distractions. Where here you are as a family, now suddenly you're doing this activity together, and it's a, it's a whole new level of bonding that you just won't get uh, doing just about anything else. Well, you know, it's really true, and you've heard a lot in the news lately of how, how crowded the different campsites are in and around uh, uh, Vancouver, Victoria, and up island and up country. You know, just it's, it's become hard to get into a campsite. Mm-hmm. Boating, you know, there are any number of little uh, bays and anchorages you can go to with a small boat or a large boat, um, and you can be out in the wilderness, uh, or you can be around lots of people if you choose to. So as a family experience, it's just a, it's a great way to be together. You'll be learning, you'll be exploring, and uh, you'll be having fun. So can you give some idea of, of the economics of it uh, for uh, a young family that wants to get into boating as a, as a regular family activity? What, what are we looking at? Uh, uh, where would they go to get started and what kind of budget would they need? Well, again, I would uh, I would take a good look at that Discover Boating website and just start to understand the different types of boats. But uh, another good way to start is to come to the Vancouver Boat Show, which is around the end of January. There are seminars. There are all kinds of boats on display. Uh, there's actually a, at Granville Island. There's an opportunity to sign up and, and take a boat out with people to learn a little bit. Um, there's boating courses at the uh, at the show. Uh, there's an ask, ask an expert uh, seminar type thing. So there's all kinds of ways here in uh, in, in BC to get uh, knowledgeable on getting on the water, uh, and and that's another good way to find out what some of the things cost. And uh, you'll also see at the boat shows the people that rent boats, that charter boats, that uh, have different ways of getting on the water. Do you have any thoughts about uh, purchasing a, a used boat? 
Uh, I think there's some great value in used boats. Um, in fact, I've, I've, I've had a number of boats in my life, and uh, I've had a couple of new ones and uh, more used. <laughs> and uh, quite honestly, there's, some, there's usually some very good buys in use. Anything that you need to look for specifically if you're not an expert? Well, I think uh, it's prudent, just like if you were buying a house, uh, except in this crazy market, um, <laughs> you know, you get a, a, a house inspection. Um, on the water, you get a surveyor, a marine surveyor, who's uh, going to have a good look at it through expert eyes and uh, give you a report on that boat. And uh, hopefully you'll learn the good and the bad. And uh, usually there's some of both on, on boats, but sure. um, generally not uh, things that you can't get over. As the U.S. Canadian dollar and the difference has it had much effect on the industry, I take it that most boats are manufactured in the U.S. Or have I got that wrong? Well, there's a lot that are, and so yes, that impacts the the dollar uh, or the exchange rate coming up uh, affects the price. Um, but there are some very good boats built in uh, in Canada, and. Uh, you know, not as many as there once were, but there's still a number of different kinds of boats built in Canada. Um, and uh, so the dollar does make a difference, but uh, it's not it's not the biggest part of the cost of boating, generally speaking. Okay. And what's new in, in boating? Well, what's... Uh because every so often, like anything else, any activity, you, you get trends. And what's trending right now in the world of boating? Well, I think uh, you mentioned family boating. There's a lot of people that are looking at uh, boats that will tow um, wakeboarders, water skiers, and uh, tubes, you know, for, you know, just that family entertainment that doesn't take a lot of skill. So uh, those boats have been very popular lately. Uh, Up on the lakes, up in the interior, the pontoon boats uh, have been very popular for families and uh, and extended families to get out on the water together. Um, And... uh, and then I think just uh, you know different uh, uh, human paddle paddle boats, uh, be they rowing or you know stand up ca- uh, uh, paddle boards, kayaks, all that kind of thing have been you know really coming on strong. Absolutely. Do you think generally um, the management of our shorelines as it relates to, to boating in British Columbia is, is pretty good? It could be better. Uh, we're not doing nearly enough. Well, there's always room for improvement, but you know we we do have some good people, and I sure I don't want to uh, knock them. They they have a hard job. It's a huge coastline when you think about uh, British Columbia, and uh, so generally speaking, I think they do a good job. We could always see improvement, and there are always going to be areas that uh, you wish could be managed a little differently. Sure, fair enough, good answer, and very politically correct, I might add. <laughs> What's the role of boating BC? Well, Boating BC is a, started as an industry association. It, it began as the BC Marine Trades Association, and a few years back we changed our name to Boating BC to, to be more encompassing of all uh, boating activities. And um, so our role is really to support people in the industry and to promote uh, people coming into the industry and, and the boating lifestyle um, because we know it's great. I think most, if not all, people that are in the boating business are passionate about it they love what they do and they want to pass that on yeah do you need an operator's license for a boat uh, you do uh if you're going to own a boat there is a, a pleasure craft operator's license which <clears throat> is is your driver's license um and it is a requirement uh the exception to that is if you want to try boating and go out and rent a boat uh say you went to horseshoe bay or granville island or some of the other places the boat rentals are available they have a, a, a checklist that they will go through and do a, a 
quick training session with you to get out on the water and to try it out. And so you don't need the full license for that experience. Appreciate your time. We'll get you back. Don Pretty is the president of the BC Boating Boating BC Association. Boating BC Association with President Don Pretty, who you can also find at Canoe Cove Marina in North Saanich. And uh, we'll look forward to our next chat. Thanks very much, Ian. You bet. Uh, we're going to stay on the water. It's Dragon Boats. That's next on Vancouver Consumer from News Talk 980 CKNW. Right in the middle of a BC Day long weekend, uh, we talked about boating and we're going to continue to talk about a different type of boating. Anita Webster is Communications Manager for the Canadian International Dragon Boat Festival Society. Uh, Good morning and nice of you to join us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ian. All is well? All is very well, thanks. You survived the fireworks? Oh my goodness, what a place to be in the summer, Vancouver, isn't it? No doubt. Uh, what's all the excitement about dragon boating? Well, dragon boating, it's really, uh, I think everybody knows somebody who's been in a dragon boat on a team. Uh, they see the boats going by. It actually came to Vancouver for Expo in 86. A small group of business people brought over some boats from Hong Kong. Uh, to demonstrate just to the public, well, people were so intrigued and, and uh, captured by this uh, that a, this same group got together and said, let's make this into a larger type event that, that Vancouverites can take part in. So by 1989, they had set up the society which, which runs the Dragon Boat Festival, and I think a lot of people know about our local festival here. Um, and then there's been other groups, other races set up as a result of that. We're really uh, leaders here in Vancouver. We run the biggest festival in North America. Wow. And, you know, anyone can do it. It's a great sport for that. Is this uh, just exclusive to downtown Vancouver, or are you affiliated with, let's say, the Steveston Dragon Boats? I know that there's a Dragon Boat uh, in, like, say, Harrison, for example. Uh, are you all interconnected, or are you all individuals? The, um, it so happens the Vancouver Dragon Boat Festival and Steveston are run by our group, the okay. same group. Now, the Steveston event is August 20th, as a, as a side note to the listeners, that that's a great thing to drop in on. It's all free. Um, the other events uh, run independently, there, and there are many. There, Regina has one, Toronto, Ottawa. Uh, they're, they're all through Europe and Asia, of course, as well. Lots in the States, and most of them are, are their own societies or entities that, that run separately. It's very interesting because uh, dragon boat racing is very much steeped in, uh, in Asian culture and tradition, and some of that has managed to make its way over to North America, in fact, quite a bit of it. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Is there a, a spiritual side to this as well? Well, it is. And, and the, the dragon boating was done in ancient China, you know, over 2,000 years ago. It was done that you know, some of the stories that they talk about, perhaps they're myths, I don't know. Um, the, the people were very fond of a, a, a stalwart poet who was a political activist named Chu Yuan. And Chu Yuan, in his protest against the government of the day, grabbed a heavy rock and jumped into the river. Uh, in to protest, and the his supporters were so upset by the the fish trying to eat his body uh, <laughs> that they went out in boats and splashed on the water and tried to get the uh, the fish to go away. So they say that can be one of the origins of of dragon boating. It was also known as a fertility rite in China. It does have Chinese roots, and as I said earlier, that was where we got these original. They were uh, teak boats from Hong Kong. 
um, to bring some of that tradition into Vancouver, which of course has very multicultural roots itself. Sure. And uh, yeah, so we do, and we every year at our festival we hold a blessing ceremony uh, to awaken the dragons and speed the paddlers and cleanse the course. So we are uh, very cognizant and aware of it, of the roots. Of the event, we also hold the event as close to the summer solstice as we can. Right. That's when it was done in ancient China. So we're always nodding to, to the very uh, long-standing roots of dragon boating in our event. Right now, I understand though, as you just mentioned, some of the the uh, ancient boats, the ones that, are, that were originally on the water, were all handcrafted of teak. I'm guessing now that teak being ex- as expensive and hard to come by as it is that. We've probably gone to more modern materials. Any idea now what these dragon boats are made of? Oh, yeah. The, things have really moved on, of course, as you say. The, the teak boats were beautiful. Some of them are still around. We don't use them. They're heavy, mm-hmm. and they're very hard to maintain as well. So, uh, no, these, the boats that they have now, actually, we have a, a group of boats that we just got from um, Germany, especially uh, made much faster, easier to look after, easier to maneuver. A dragon boat is 40 feet long. Wow. So it's got 22 people in it. it. It takes some doing to get that vessel moving. And uh, so they want all the advantages they can get. But, they're, yeah, they're carbon fiber and the paddles are, or the paddles are carbon fiber. Everything's, everything's been uh, modernized right. and, uh, and made to be a lot more streamlined. Now you've got a crew of 20. You've got, no, you said 22. So you've got a crew of 20. Uh, the, so the 21st is the drummer and the 22nd would be the one that, uh, I can't remember the name now, but who basically Here. steers the boat. Yes. That's right, yeah. Yeah, now, so they're, uh, they're all working hard and working together. I'm thinking the drummer's got to be the best gig if you're, <laughs> if you're dragon boating. If you can keep time at all, that would probably be a lot of fun. Well, you also have to hang on tight because they're, uh, they're quite high up there in the bow of the boat, and um, uh, they don't often go in the drink, but sometimes. Uh, you know, it's a little precarious up on that seat. So. Yeah, I'm wondering how many times if the crew is, you know, maybe not that happy with the drummer. Ah. <laughs> I bet that happens from time to time. A topic for another day, Ian. Just how demanding is it, though, physically? Is it something that is only for the very young? Certainly not. We have a lot of senior teams. We have teams that are corporate teams. We have teams with special causes. There's a group uh, called Vision Impossible and Eye of the Dragon. Those are both blind dragon boat paddling teams, so that covers all ages, and uh, it's the kind of sport that, that anybody can do, really. Um, you don't have to be a super athlete, uh, but you have to want to do it, you have to keep time, and you have to want to be part of a team. So we really encourage people of all abilities, ages, uh, there's a little time commitment if you're on a team, because you're on a team, and right. the team would like to practice together and Maybe they commit to a race or to to do certain regattas and things, uh, but no, it's it really it's fun. Uh, it's interesting that there's been a, an interest in latterly. I don't know in the last ten years or so. Our festival's been going on for twenty seven. Wow! Um, but uh, we're, the high school kids are really getting involved in it, and because uh, it's a team that you know not everybody's on the basketball team. Right. And uh, but the, with the dragon boat team, yeah, you join up and you're you're one of the team. You're pulling together very literally. And we really encourage, and the senior teams, and we're finding there's a, um, 
they've all got waiting lists because really? you know, a lot of us are retiring, and uh, there's more and more as the, as the baby boomers get older. Uh, the senior teams are really popular because it's a fun way to be together and meet new people. And well, is that the appeal, Anita? Is it the camaraderie? Because this is definitely, um, and, and like many sports, uh, this is a very team-oriented sport. You really have to, this whole idea of timing and, and synchronicity is critical to, to dragon boating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, we say there's no most valuable player. Nobody gets to outshine anybody else. It's all your ability to be part of the group, to keep time. Your, your team is only as good as its, its uh, coherence and, and, uh, and working together. So it really, it really uh, that, that fosters real togetherness and fun. And people, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I remember meeting somebody who'd just come to town. He'd just recently got divorced. He didn't know what to do. And he said, as soon as I got on that team, I had uh, 21 new friends. I had stuff to do. I was outside. I was on the water. So it really, people do love that uh, connection and the, and the group aspect of it. I don't want to be glib, but I, I truly believe when you, you do some dragon boating, the two things that you pick up, the skills that you take away will, will help you in all aspects of your life, and that is teammanship and timing. Timing is critical in just about everything we do, and those are two skills that you will, will definitely hone in a dragon boat. Would you agree? Those are really good points, Ian. We should get you on our PR team. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Sign me up. You know, I haven't. I have. I will full confession. I haven't actually tried it. I've been to the Dragon Boat Festival uh, at Creekside, and I think it's fantastic. I, I I've definitely marked down August twentieth for Steveson, and I want to go there. I have a lot of friends that have in the last uh, say two, three, maybe even five years that are, you know, definitely not uh, at the beginning of their careers and just now finding dragon boat racing and and it's it's practically all they talk about. And I'm wondering do they do they need more kids a new dog or different hobbies or is oh. it really as as exciting as they say it is? Well, that uh, I think people have to find that out for themselves, but I I hear very similar stories. Well, what do you think it is? What what hooks people? What is it that because the people that do this are extremely passionate about it? Yeah, yeah I see that a lot. I see, I do. And, and wh- what would you owe that to? Well, I think as we were talking about that, you're you're part of a team. You're not you're not going to be a hanger on or or somebody that's sitting on the bench or something. You're, if you're on the team, you're on the team, and mm-hmm. uh, and and it's fun. You know, it's uh, it. They really they when you're in a race. Uh, it's intense. It's very short duration. But there's an awful lot of buildup to get right. down to the water and be in the race. The race would be, you know, two and a half minutes of, of intense activity. But you've got to get be there in the tent with your team and go to the area that, where the team gathers and then march around to go down onto the dock. And so everybody's always in it together and they, they see the other teams. You know, really when we find people get the most um, hooked is when they've been in a race. Right, and, uh, and that's you know it's one thing to go down and practice and paddle around on False Creek in a, a sunny evening. That is lovely, but mm-hmm. once you've had that adrenaline rush of the racing, uh, that's when we when that's when the people are are with us for, <laughs> you know, for the duration. It uh, it really kicks in. I think at that point we're all pretty time squeezed right now. Mm-hmm. So what kind of a commitment if I want to maybe enter next year's race? Uh, wh- mm-hmm. What do I need to prepare? How much time per week would I have to give? 
think that, uh, well, as an example, we have an introduction to dragon boating course on this summer. People could still squeeze in okay. uh, if they wanted to. They've had one on the, uh, Friday, I think it was. But there's, more, there's, uh, there's still three more to go. So those groups, for example, and that's a really good way to start, an hour and a half a week. Okay, and I that think seems reasonable. Can be organized enough to come up with that. Yeah, and then when you're on a team, uh, some of the teams. Now we haven't talked about the competitive aspect of this. Some of the teams really are very serious about it. They're not. They're not doing this thing for the cause or the corporate or the to meet new friends they are they're very serious athletes and they travel internationally with their team right. and compete um so those te- all to say those teams can go to the gym and they practice that together they have personal trainers they would practice a couple of times three times a week right so that's that's a certain category but m- most of the recreational teams we find practice once a week maybe starting about april um, for our event, which is in June, so it's uh, your fun is all jammed in uh, a shorter period, but then then they keep practicing. Maybe their team registers for the Steveston event in August. Sure. So they get the, another weekly practice in there. Is it an expensive sport to be part of? It would. The teams pay to be a part of the uh, festivals for the races, but other than that, no. I don't. You know, the teams would need to raise the money right. among themselves and. Uh, um, it, there's there's not an awful lot of equipment. I'm a skier, and oh my goodness, you know, yeah. clothes, the equipment that changes every year, and the helmets, and the. Uh, um, but the you know, dragon boaters often own or can own their own paddle, but there's not a lot more to it than that, really. Yeah. And you don't have to own your own paddle. So where where would the like for example, if if I have a team, just as an example, where would I get the the actual boat from? Oh, the the boats are part of the. Uh, when you register and uh, register to be as uh, practicing, then you use the boats that belong to us. Right. If people don't have their own dragon boats, they're too. They're as I mentioned, they're forty feet long and they're expensive and they're. Uh, the, and when we have a race, we want the boats to be similar, so that makes the the field fair for everybody. Right. So that way, I mean, the best thing to do is. Uh, Go, I would say go on our, our, our Dragon um, Club, dragonzone.ca, mm-hmm. and that explains how you could take an intro course okay. uh, or uh, join a team, as we discussed, and then things kind of take off from there because once you've joined a team, the team has a practice slot, and with the practice comes a paddle and a life jacket and the use of the boat for that time period. It, it, things all kind of flow from there. So I think this dragonzone.ca is an excellent starting point for your listeners uh, who are interested in exploring. Okay. And maybe just, you know, dabble in it at first, like uh, ease your way in. Sure. And, uh, and no pressure that way. That's right. Yeah, you see if it's for you. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the Dragon Boat Festival uh, in, in general. Uh, how are things coming along in Falls Creek? Not not in terms of uh, squatters or anything like that, but just in terms of your own facilities. I, I know that uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, building a facility for you. Or where are you at with that? Uh, we were really pleased this year. We were able to use the... Uh, uh, docks and the buildings that the, we've worked with the Vancouver, the city of Vancouver for many years to get the, the boathouse organized down there. This is a preliminary, this is phase one, and uh, we're, in, we're well settled in down there. It's a beautiful uh, structure. Uh, people may have seen it on Falls Creek. A, a really lovely time to see it is in the evening because the, the uh, buildings that are the, the 
I mean, using the word shed isn't uh, it does a disservice <laughs> to them, but they're beautifully designed. They look like little Chinese lanterns, actually, oh, neat. when they're lit from inside, right down there on that placid water, and it, it really is lovely. Now, we're really uh, excited to move toward Phase 2, working with the Park Board and with the city to get the more... Uh, established facility down there, the uh, the actual boating center. So that's our that's what we're working toward now. But we had a great festival last year or this earlier this summer, and uh, y- the use of those the docks with the fingers, everything worked really well. And this festival is a real community event. It's not just dragon boat racing, which of course is a big part of it. But there's music and there's food and there's uh, I believe there's a beer garden and and a lot of community groups come together to be part of this event. Yeah, lots goes on down there. As I said earlier, it's free. There's live music on the stage all day long, both of the days. There's things going on uh, for kids. There's all this food. There's uh, there was a rock climbing wall this year. Uh, there's there's just, there's uh, sponsor booths and marketplace area where you can buy stuff. And uh, it's yeah, it really is. It's beautiful to be down on the water in the in the summer in Vancouver. If you're interested in dragon boat racing, uh, again, dragonzone.ca is a good place to start. Anita Webster is communications manager for the Canadian International Dragon Boat Festival Society. Next time, I want you to come back and talk about another water sport because there's so many now, but kayaking and stand-up boarding are also very popular. So uh, with that, will you come back? You bet. Yep, I will be standing by to, to chat about that, Ian. Thank you. Lots of fun. Thank you. And Anita, West, uh, Anita Webster, Communications Manager, Canadian International Dragon Boat Festival Society. Again, dragonzone.ca. Lots of fun. Lots of people doing it. Another way to get on the water and see this incredible city from a completely different viewpoint. Vancouver Consumer continues after this on News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, if you're not inclined to go on the water, perhaps your mode of transportation is SkyTrain and the Evergreen Line, ever so close. The race is on towards its 2017 completion date, and colleague and news reporter on CKNW, John Meyer, took a look at the impact that the Evergreen Line is having on development in the Port Moody area. Next stop, Port Moody. Most call it the Nevergreen Line. Some say Port Moody Council has been too slow to improve developments around it. I spoke to hyperlocal realtor John Grasty about the developments in Port Moody, and he says really this all began back in the 1990s, around 1995, when Port Moody Council decided that they would move to the developing inlet center area, and he says that delayed the much-needed revitalization throughout Moody Center even longer. I've read that developers were slow out of the gate to build around the Evergreen Line in Port Moody compared to Coquitlam, let's say, where according to development application permits, uh, the last two years have been very strong there for development. Over $360 million worth of uh, building permits issued uh, that year. That was up from $15 million the year before. Uh, by comparison, in Port Moody, last year there were, I think, $21 million worth of construction permits issued, uh, just $12 million the year before. Uh, understanding that these are two very uh, different places, John, um, why do you think there was such a drastic difference in numbers? Uh, the regional government was actually moving in the direction of densified town centres based on transit-oriented development from the early 90s. Um, With this in mind, Port Moody had allowed its population to uh, double in about a 15-year period to, I think, 2009. The 
funding allocated for the long-awaited Murray Connector was pulled by TransLink. So Port Moody put a moratorium on um, developing uh, density until the funding was committed to the new infrastructure um, to handle the growth. And that's when um, the Evergreen Line was finally um, uh, funded and things slowly started to get back on track. Uh, John, would you say the delay in the neighborhood plan uh, slowed development? Uh, yes, I would say it did uh, slow development. But there appears to be a tentativeness with certain councillors and their recent council decision to not move forward on um, a proposal at the corner of Clark and Moody, which also met almost all of the planning criteria and more, seems to bear this out. James Stiver is a manager of development services with Port Moody. He says planning staff did support the rezoning and proposed building. And he says Aragon plans did fit the community plan and also received support from the city's advisory design panel and its land use committee. CKNW's Emily Lazatin went to speak with residents to see how this has all impacted them. Well, we're actually having to leave our house now because this block is getting redeveloped for townhouses. That's Frank Cassidy. He's been renting a home with his kids on St. George's Street, less than 400 metres from Moody Centre Skytrain Station. Yeah, we're very happy, yeah. I really, really enjoyed it, yeah. Hey, I spoke to a couple of people, uh, people that have sold. Um, they're okay with it, I guess they're, you know, some people aren't all. I feel that more and more they're just these kind of neighbourhoods were losing them, right, to developing townhouses. Rebecca Salustros, a resident on the same street, has mixed feelings about shovels hitting the ground for townhomes. The house she's lived in for 15 years has been sold. The positive of the Evergreen Line would be maybe more affordable transit for some people. I take the West Coast Express to work, but I, it's kind of expensive. It's, it's certainly more um, effective cost-wise to take the Evergreen Lines. Negatively, it will be busier. It may be less of a small community. The traffic may be a lot worse, I mean, because people are going to park there as well. And Fred Sufi says new development is pushing longtime residents out. Because of the Evergreen, there are uh, many of the rental units have been teared down and made to the to the townhouses or uh, condos. So the people who are not in a position to buy a condo and their rental, they cannot live here because there are no places to live, no places to rent. So they are the ones who are affected very badly. They are moving to Maple Ridge, they are moving to Mission even. But for Sufi, there's another component, saving some of the city's history. There are currently 65 registered heritage homes in Port Moody. And these houses are 50, 60, 80, 100 years old. If you don't take care of what is there, which is a Sutherland house, which is a heritage house, then that will be teared down. So what I'm going to do, I'm buying that and moving it somewhere else is preserved. Sufi is in the process of building, preserving, and moving several heritage and character homes. While he doesn't deny it makes him money, he says it's about mixing the old with the new. These are character home, and it is good to, if we could preserve it, it's good to preserve it, and so next generation can can see where how their community was, how the houses was, how you know, because if you don't have anything to show them, they won't know about their community. Sufi does admit it's time for a change. Community is changing in a big way, especially Port Moody, because Port Moody has not changed for many years. And suddenly by SkyTrain and people realizing it's such a great community here. Port Moody is a really great community. We are close to Vancouver. We have a waterfront. We have so many parks. But for Frank Cassidy, who has less than a year to find a new home. Yeah, it's sad. I think it's sad, to be quite honest with you. I understand progression and all that kind of stuff, but I think it's... um, 
think there's some areas where they should just keep it the way it is. That's my personal view. Next stop, Port Moody. Forecast is sticking to the forecast of sunshine this afternoon. I hope it works out just that way. Happy Pride to you. Thank you for sharing Vancouver Consumer this morning. My name is Ian Power. Our technical producer is Mike Given. Stay with us. It's uh, Is it Sam Foxman coming up next? It's CKNW Weekend next on News Talk 980 CKNW.